0: And welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and they share their story. They may have overcome some kind of adversity, they might still be on that journey, but with stories that will make you laugh, cry, and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. Now this week, I'm joined by a guest who quite simply has fought for her own life, fought for her own life to be a loving mother to her son and to be here today. Grace Victory is an author, she's a mother, she's a digital creator, body positive activist, television presenter, TEDx speaker and campaigner. Grace established her YouTube channel in 2011 at 21 years old, after 10 years in the business, and has gone from expressing her love for beauty and fashion to covering a wealth of topics that young women face today, including mental health, sex, diet culture, and spirituality. In May 2020, Grace fell pregnant for the first time, but like many that year in December, Grace also caught a severe case of COVID-19. This led to an immediate C-section two days later, and Grace was then put into a coma. In February 2021, Grace regained consciousness She's now a mum to a gorgeous one-year-old baby boy called Cypress, and now one year on from being put into that coma, she's in her ongoing recovery. Having just been announced as an ambassador for the mental health charity Mind, I am so honoured to have Grace with me here today on the podcast. Hello. Thanks. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. i um, When you hear all that, I mean, I feel overwhelmed when I hear all that in the Mm. intro. So how do you feel when you hear all that? It's funny
1: because it was the stuff like that I do that made me be like, oh, is that me more than surviving COVID? I don't know. That's really weird. But I feel like I've processed so much of what's happened um, and I'm still processing it. But I think because I'm learning to live again, All the stuff that I talk about seems to penetrate me a little bit more um, Mm. because I'm still figuring out who I am again, still on that journey deciding what's next for me, what the future looks like, um, whilst obviously still dealing with PTSD um, and the fallout of being so critically unwell.
0: Hmm. It's funny because obviously in in that list, you've achieved a lot professionally. Um, Hmm. And, you know, as an outsider looking in, you seem very self-motivated, you know, being freelance and having that kind of CV is definitely somebody that goes out there and kind of gets shit done, you know? And um, I was trying to think about like, when did I first discover you? And this probably makes me sound so old. It was actually on Twitter, um, mm. that I first discovered you. And the reason why I gravitated towards you is you were the first and only person I'd found online that didn't just talk about having therapy, but you would in, in very small, like bite-sized yeah. sentences, you would talk about things that had happened in the therapy session. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it, that, that, and that of that time, that wasn't really something that widely happened. And people didn't really even say they had a therapist back then really. And it's funny because I've had therapy too, a lot of therapy. And when you see people online talking, you can tell who's had therapy because mm. they say some of the stuff that the therapist says.
1: Yeah. But
0: you were doing other stuff, like you were being honest about what your therapist has said to you. Some, some of it was embarrassing. Yes. Some of it was hard to sit with. Um, and I was like, wow, this normalizes a lot of my experiences. And then I just looked for you on all platforms and then I discovered everything else that you do. Um So it's like you're an OG, but you were doing stuff. Mm. that It's mainstream now, but when you were doing it, it wasn't.
1: Yeah, I feel like I started doing what I was doing because I needed someone like me or my inner child needed someone like me. And although we all talk about like being authentic and being vulnerable, it's actually really hard, especially... um, with loads of eyes on you on social media. And I think as well, just in your actual relationships, like to really be vulnerable and, you know, connect intimately with someone, it takes a lot of balls. Um, And I went to therapy initially because I realised I had so many patterns with men and so many Mm -hmm. issues with being intimate and letting my guard down um, or letting my guard down with the wrong people and why I kept doing that. Um, And I've been seeing my therapist ever since. I see him twice a week um, since 2016. Oh, it's a guy. Yeah, it's a guy. I I I assumed it was a woman. No, see? And I did that because... Intentionally, because I knew to, to learn to trust men in real life, I needed to trust a therapist, a male mm-hmm. therapist. Um, and we've obviously worked through so, so much. And now um, we're working through this phase of like boredom. When your life isn't chaotic, um, not full of drama or trauma, I think if you've been raised in chaos, you just always feel bored if you're settled Um, So we've been talking about that and it's really eye-opening that the feelings of peace that I get followed by immediate boredom. Mm -hmm. And I think that not a lot of people talk about that. And I find it so interesting because with COVID, um, before I got very unwell, COVID never worried me because I was like, yeah, we're in a pandemic. It's chaos, but like I've lived through so much chaos In my childhood um Mm -hmm. and now you know obviously i went through like complete and utter trauma but since then i've been working through kind of all of those feelings around okay like i've got my family i live in a nice um house i'm settled career wise why do i still feel empty it's really interesting what does he suggest we do when
0: we experience i mean it's like boredom is it unfulfillment as well do you think yeah I think
1: so yeah at the moment we're talking about grief and how I'm grieving um parts of my life and I'm grieving um what I thought my life would look like um you know when you're a child you kind of imagine I don't know this life, and sometimes when you become an adult, you're like, oh shit, like life isn't like that. Um, you know, you, you wake up, you kind of do the same things day in, day out, you feed your, your child, they your child throws all their food on the floor, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's life isn't like beautiful and like big every day um so my therapist suggested that I sit in my boredom and I let the feelings come instead of trying to fill my life with things so for me for example since and this is the first time I've ever said this out loud really but since becoming ill um I've developed um well, my therapist said it's OCD with cleaning and organising. And he thinks it's Mm a way that I'm learning, I'm trying to control um, the trauma and things that have happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, stop, like, when you're bored, stop, like, tidying the clothes stop cleaning the kitchen for the 10th time that day just sit there for a bit and see what comes up but I find it really hard
0: yeah I mean I I relate to that massively and, and I think for me it's a facade of be, being in control
1: and, and mm-hmm. feeling safe
0: it, it's a coping mechanism but actually doesn't really work either
1: No, and you're on this wheel constantly. Over Christmas especially, which was obviously kind of my anniversary of um, being admitted into hospital and having Cyprus, I would be up all night and I'd be like tidying and pottering about and sorting Cyprus's clothes out and whatever. And honestly, like I'd look at the time and five hours had gone past and it felt like five minutes because I was so erratic. Mm -hmm. Um, Just trying to cling on to some sort of, yeah, false false control. But in the end, it just kind of makes you need more therapy. Mm,
0: Yeah, it does. You're right. Mm. It it kind of prolongs and and adds to all the issues. Yeah. Um, You touched there on your childhood and and the words you used was, was chaotic. And, mm. you know, when I, I look at you from what we see of you is you started working really young, like to start yeah. YouTube at 21, it was a young age. It was mm. also, um, you weren't one of many, you were one of few as well. You yeah. know, like I said, you're one of the originals. Yeah. What was life? Like, I'd love to know about your childhood, mm. but also what was life like as a teenager, young adult before you started that YouTube? So sort of like mm. 18 to 20, like- what, yeah. Who was Grace and
1: what was her life like? So I started working at a very, very young age. Uh, I started doing like theatre, film and TV at about two um, and modelling. So the camera for me was always a natural thing. It's where I came alive. And I think looking back, it was obviously a performance, a pretense. I knew how to to act, how to fake it. Um, And it was definitely an escapism from my chaotic family home. Um, My mum was a single parent, but my dad um, was very violent and um, I was exposed to just a lot of chaos and trauma and witnessed a lot of angry, violent men and a lot of sad women. So me going to performing arts school and dancing and singing was how I kind of shut all of that out. Um, And at 16, I experienced sexual trauma as well. So before YouTube happened, I was deeply deeply depressed and searching for purpose searching for my place in the world and i kind of always knew i had a talent i always knew i was good at speaking um not even good at makeup and beauty but just kind of like taking something and making it my own i always knew how to do that because i think as a child i had no choice i ha- i knew that in order to kind of get out um escape, make my own money, be successful. I knew I had to have talent or use whatever I had to my advantage. Um, and I just did that. And I think I started YouTube at a time where the other originals, um, a lot of them were white. A lot of them were, uh, middle-class and I, I, I wasn't and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm mixed race, I'm plus size um, and I'm very, very common. So I think people, um, you know, I grew up on a carter estate and people mm. I think were like, who is this random girl? Um, and it just kind mm. of took off from there.
0: Yeah. I wondered like when you joined at 21, YouTube, like what's it like now for a 21 year old to join YouTube? Mm. You know, is is there a stark difference compared to
1: when you did? Yes when i started you could upload a video on your really 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 rubbish webcam and people would love it but yeah. now it it seems to be like expensive equipment um aesthetics i mean i just think the pressure for 21 year olds now are just different to how you know we were when we were that age because I don't know, even down to makeup and eyebrows, like at 21, my so eyebrows were, yeah, my eyebrows were horrendous. And now I'm looking at girls and I'm like, how have you got your life together like this? And you're so young. Um, so I think, yeah, YouTube is just a, a manifestation of the world in general. Um, mm. Because I think, yeah, the world has definitely changed for young people.
0: Yeah, you're right. It is, it is a reflection of that. Do you, do you think it's fair to say you grew up online? And if and if you did, mm. has it shaped you as a human to for who you are today?
1: I think it's made me so much more open. Twitter, in particularly, mm-hmm. I feel like is such an amazing platform at times, not all the time, um, for you know raising awareness listening to people speak. Um, And a lot of the times when you're trying to learn, it's best to just shut up and listen. And I feel Mm. like social media has really helped me with that. Um, And I think social media has its problems, but I do think it's helped me massively to, you know, be creative have an outlet and connect with people that are like me um especially now being a mum because it can be quite isolating um and I I meet mums online all the time and I I really value that side of it
0: well I did wonder if there had been negatives for you or not because I felt like what you present as is hard to criticize because you're not sort of pretending to be something you're not Mm. so there's no way of like cancelling you or catching you out because there's no kind of like yeah, of course Sad. you built a brand, but mm-hmm. yeah, but your brand is kind of on authenticity. Um, so I wondered if there ever had been any negatives or, or difficult
1: times you'd experienced in that space. Uh, I face criticism a lot, um, but mainly for like what I look like more than what I say and who I am. Um, I think there was a time especially online where it was really acceptable to like fat shame and body shame. Um, Mm -hmm. even like, I don't know, I used to get comments about my nose or my lips when I spoke, it was just wild. Um, I've definitely, you know, had a lot of heat in regards to that. Um, but I think what I've learned, um, is you're never going to get it completely right you can be absolutely perfect and someone won't like it um but i am grateful in the sense that people genuinely are quite lovely um and have allowed me to kind of change and grow and if they haven't then they can obviously unfollow me and that's fine but um, I'm kind of past the point of caring Mm. but motherhood as well becoming a mum that opens another world of like criticism and opinions online (laughs) it's it's (laughs) mad it's mad mad yeah it's a special group of
0: people isn't
1: it (laughs) yeah so now I'm navigating that um and yeah it's it's a lot sometimes
0: I mean, even before becoming a mum, like some of the topics you cover, it's wide ranging. And for some people, they would be considered taboo, not for everybody, mm. but, you know, Diet, culture, sex, spirituality, mental health, relationship dynamics, therapy. For me, actually, what they are is they are the real things that happen in everyone's Mm -hmm. life. But Mm -hmm. sort of like British culture is some of those things on the list we pretend don't happen in our life at all. Some we just don't acknowledge or discuss with friends or online. Uh, But for you, you're, you're discussing them all. Was that a hard decision? You know, why are you so
1: passionate about that? What do you hope to achieve from talking about these things? it wasn't hard. It was very much a natural progression for me. Um, and it was things that I found interesting. Obviously, I love lipstick or, I don't know, my latest boots or whatever. But actually, when I look at my life, the things that matter are my relationships, our therapy. And it's just what gets me going. You know how some people are passionate about cooking, for example, Mm. my thing is like spirituality and healing and talking about the stars and astrology and all these weird and wonderful things. Because I think humans are so dynamic and there's so many facets to us. And I don't want to ever be put into a box of who I should be and what I should talk about. Um, There's so many different versions of myself. And I think my platform now are all those different versions. Um, There's no aesthetics to who a person is or who I am. Mm. Um, You know, I've got a toddler. I'm a mum. I love wearing cohorts. I shaved off all my hair. I um, love talking about being a Virgo. All these different versions of myself. And I think I'm done playing small, Mm And I think when someone is loud and proud, um, and soft in, in who they are and what they're about, it's just a breath of fresh air. Um, and it just
2: makes me happy. You may have heard of the podcast, Juicy Scoop, wondered what it is. Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host, created it, been doing it for seven years
0: So I really want to talk about your pregnancy journey, like in yeah. a traditional sense of, you know, was it difficult to get pregnant? What was it like? But it's not, also, it's not a regular conversation because at some point that journey stopped being textbook. And like mm. I said in the intro, you you know, short version is you ended up in a coma. Yeah. And I remember, like, it sounds a bit saddo, oh, but I remember reading it online I think it was Twitter, like your family had written something Yeah, and it stopped me in my tracks because it, what happens with YouTubers and what happened with me, with you, was I was like, my friend's in a coma. Yeah, We're not friends. Yeah. I hadn't ever met you. And, yeah. and you know, I've been in a coma. So I, I knew a part mm-hmm. of what you're going through and your family's going through. And yeah. I felt really sick. And I started praying every day that you were going to come out of this coma, mm-hmm. praying for your partner Um, So I shouldn't tell the story. I should let you talk about it from the beginning because it's so fascinating and it's so unique and it's so unique to you, you know?
1: Yeah, thank you. So it wasn't hard to get pregnant at all, I don't think. Um, We weren't really trying, but we decided at the beginning of 2020 um, that if it happened, we'd be cool with it. We wouldn't panic. Um, And I think we had that discussion in March and then in May I conceived Um, and I had an amazing pregnancy, no sickness, um, minimal anxiety, happy, you know, felt my baby's kicks, like it was pretty much a standard pregnancy. Obviously, um, it was a pandemic, so I don't know what it's like to be pregnant outside of that didn't have a baby shower, um, didn't really see a lot of people, um, but I didn't actually mind, it was quite nice to kind of take things slow, um, be at home a lot more, work less, um, and just enjoy growing, um, my baby, and then, yeah, December came around, I caught COVID, definitely knew that I had it before um, I had a positive test. Just didn't feel right. Um, Couldn't keep any food down. Um, Just was cold one minute, hot the next wanted like a cup of tea one day and then like an ice lolly and I just knew something wasn't quite right so I got admitted to maternity triage um and then during that time my oxygen levels kept going down and they were decreasing and I don't really remember much I think my oxygen was so low that my brain obviously was shutting down um so I remember asking the nurses to get my baby out um, and them like jokingly being like, you're dramatic. And I was like, no guys, take my baby out. Um, And they agreed the next day, Christmas Eve, I was wheeled down to theater and it was a very beautiful, calm birth. I think people think because of the trauma that happened afterwards, um, my birth was traumatic, but it wasn't, it was a C-section. I loved medical team. I felt safe. My partner was singing. It was, felt very quick. I think it was about 20 minutes. Cyprus came out, they held his head to mine. Um, He got taken to the NICU um, just to make sure he was fine. He was fine, Um, but I obviously wasn't. I got taken to the ICU Um, and that's all I remember. I just remember being in the ICU saying bye to my partner at the doors and that's it. But I was awake for two days. Um, I consented to the coma. I text my friend saying that I was gonna die, which I have no recollection of. Like how I knew that, I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, to rest my lungs, I was put in a coma, um, intubated. The oxygen Sorry, levels God. were too low for you to stay awake. Yeah. The right. So I think w- w- what it was is that I was needing more and more support. Mm. And when you need more and more support, you need to be in the ICU because it's obviously intensive care. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was in the ICU. I got intubated during my coma. Um, I was comfortable and then I wasn't comfortable. Um and they noticed that I had an infection. My markers for infection were very high. They couldn't find the infection. Um and when you're when you're in the ICU with COVID, you get proned, which means that you're flipped from your back to your front, from your back to your front, um, on a waterbed yeah. every twelve hours. Mm-hmm. So I was having that and during a flip, I went into cardiac arrest um, for four minutes um, and they manually compressed my chest. I came back to life. I was stable. And you died? Yeah, for four minutes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which I thought was a long time. But during my ICU debrief a few weeks ago, they said, that's like nothing. We would compress you for like half an hour, hours if we needed to. Um, Cause I thought, I asked them, I said, why didn't you let me die? Why did you keep, you know, keep resuscitating me? And they were like, we were not letting you go, Grace. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, so I came back, they noticed then I had a clot in my lung um, and multiple organ failure. Um, so I was on dialysis for that. And then obviously blood thinners, and then within a week, I had improved dramatically. But they decided to put a tracheostomy in so mm-hmm. that I could have air directly through my throat into my lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a month later, I woke up. And then a month after that, it was like it never happened. It's wild. It is it is wild.
0: And, and, and you know... It- so traumatic for you, and then I'm thinking about your partner. You were, you were given five mm. percent chance of survival. Yeah. So was yeah. he just planning life without? Like, was he going into no. survival mode? No, he or? was.
1: Ref- he was absolutely refusing to even believe what they were saying. They called mm. him. So funnily enough, the ICU was on the same level as the NICU wards. So Mm -hmm. my partner was visiting Cyprus on the NICU and he got a phone call that I died whilst he was in the NICU. Um, He basically collapsed and the nurses were having to hold him up, basically. Um, And they said, we don't think she's going to recover. And he said, you don't know, Grace. She's going to recover and she'll be fine. I think me and Lee, when we met, it was like, well, we we actually saw a shooting star And that describes us meeting, it was like magic. And Mm -hmm. for both of us, we knew having a baby would be so healing, Mm -hmm. so beautiful, so magical for us. Um, And he said, like, I knew that was not the end. It couldn't be the end for us. Um, I think it's been more traumatic for him, actually.
0: Yeah, they get vi- when you've been in a coma. The people supporting you have visuals that you don't have. You yeah. don't see. You
1: know. Yeah. Um, so it's been horrific for my family and for, and for Lee. Um, but I woke up and immediately asked for Lee and my baby, um, and within three weeks they were allowed in. And you know, since I got discharged, it was about you know, rebuilding my life and my relationship. And in the beginning, Cypress didn't feel like my baby. Of course. I was pregnant yeah. one minute and then he was suddenly out the next. And we never had that golden hour that everyone mentions and breastfeeding and the skin to skin. We never had that. Um, mm. So we had to start it, you know, six months later. How old was he when you met him then? Three months. Three months. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, And yes, just so grateful now that Cypress is literally a mummy's boy and like attached to my hip. And Lee is like, I don't understand how this boy has just rejected me. I was like, because I'm his mum, babes. I really wanted to talk to you about your
0: recovery, uh, but almost calling it a recovery kind of minimises what you went through because... Anyone that's had any kind of medical treatment or trauma will know your medical recovery is huge and very Mm. much ongoing. And I would say, and still in the very early stages, then you've got the psychological side. And then for me personally, I do believe that once you've passed into a coma and you've experienced passing away and coming back, I do believe there's a massive spiritual side and identity side as well. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered how all three of those sort of components
1: are going for you like how is your recovery still do you agree yeah so they say recovery from the ICU takes like minimum two years and that's if you've been in there for a month and I was in there for 98 days so I'm in very very early recovery my physical recovery has been the easiest part I think knowing that I needed to walk to get home just Kept me going, um, so I worked my ass off basically with with my recovery, because I was so independent before, and I wanted my life back. I wanted to, to reclaim my independence, so I worked really, really hard. I pushed myself. Um, so I had to learn to walk again. I had to learn to shower, do everything, brush my teeth, uh, talk, eat everything and obviously because of covid my lungs um the capacity just isn't what they used to be so i would go for walks every day um just to build up my lungs i'd push myself just so that i could feel like me again so my physical recovery i'm pretty much back to normal mentally and spiritually which for me come in hand in hand um have been really difficult because in my coma, I had horrific coma dreams, horrific. Uh, I was raped. I yeah, I was raped continuously. I was murdered, I think, about 17 times. It, you know, that's it was, really
0: common though, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the rape and stuff. And it was so yeah. for me because everybody's washing you and touching you and because your dig- dignity goes, it's sort of like some
1: reality and then it's hyper traumatised in your head. Yeah exactly and a lot of my coma dream was around water and my bed was a waterbed yeah. so that started making sense um and there are men in my dreams with masks on and obviously because of covid everyone had these weird masks on um so my coma dreams were my deepest darkest um fears and subconscious that playing out in a really warped way so overcoming those and understanding that I've remembered my coma dreams as an actual memory, even though they weren't real in some dimension for me, they were real. They're more real than dreams, aren't they? They're more yeah. vivid. And it's like, like experiences. Yeah. It actually happened, but just in a weird dimension. So waking up and remembering all of that, plus being told that I died for, um, you know emotionally trying to fight to get home to my son it was a lot and I was in crisis point um I wouldn't say I was suicidal but I definitely wasn't grateful to be alive at one point I would rather have died Mm. it was that hard yeah um and then wondering why the hell I was I was alive like why am I alive if I can't walk? You know, why am I alive if my baby's not here? Constant, constantly battling between being grateful, being resilient, being strong, mm. also going into my victim mindset and kind of trying to to feel all those feelings, but also just trying to carry on. Um, and I definitely experience now like a spiritual warfare I was so spiritual before so connected so grounded um, you know I would do lots of rituals I'd meditate and now I'm so I feel even though I I saw a godly spirit this big green figure and I you know I died you know I and came back and I believe that that, you know, drugs brought me back, my medical team brought me back, but God also helped bring me back. I believe all of these things, but I feel really separate. Mm. I'm questioning my spiritual beliefs now. I'm questioning everything, the why, all the time. And I think it will get easier, but I think because I'm in such early recovery, it, it can be really, really, really hard. And being a new mum, it's like a double whammy. Mm-hmm. Medical trauma, being a new mum, yeah, it's a lot.
0: I knew you were really spiritual when I saw you shaved your head because some people mm. might not know why it's important to do that
1: after trauma. Can you, can you tell yeah. us about that for
0: people that don't know?
1: So energy holds in the hair um, and they you know that's why people say when a girl cuts her hair she's gonna change her life so so I knew that the energy of all that trial would be stuck in the strands of my hair but also all the drugs um and just yeah, the hospital and just all of that um and my scalp was so dry uh, my hair was obviously matted and I think shaving off my hair was just I think a a manifestation of like, I'm brave. I can do this. The, the feeling that came with that was like freedom, empowerment, courage. I looked in the mirror and it was like, I could see my bold head. I looked really pale. I looked ill. Um, and I looked broken, but when I really, really looked at myself, I just, I saw like renewal And, like, this Mm. girl that wasn't afraid to begin again. And I think more women should start again.
0: Yeah, because, right, listen, when you're stripped back is when you can only see the real you, you know? Mm. And and when you're only left with that, you have no choice but to go with her. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's actually quite powerful, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes it's not welcomed, you wouldn't have sought that. But, but sometimes yeah. that, that kind of coming into your life is sort of like, what does everyone want in life? They want purpose and to understand who they are. It's a painful way to find it, but mm. it's still quite a lot of clarity
1: at a very young age, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think perspective mm-hmm. is as well, like just hearing you, you know, say those words. I'm like, yeah, I didn't seek this, but it came to me regardless. Yeah. Um, and I've got a choice, you know, I can, I feel like I could have really let that experience break me, um, and destabilize me, but. I I just can't I just I've got a baby I've got you know I've got a life I've got a partner yeah I've got to still work you have to still live and that is the crux of it and the difficulty is that you go through this massive massive thing but you still have to live and I I survived for a reason I'm not gonna you know Mm -hmm. come back and just and just wallow in that or um just be okay with sitting around and letting life pass me by it kind of gave me the balls to actually grab life by the hands um so yeah and you're doing great things you
0: know you're an ambassador for mind and actually even your book um your book's pretty cool you, you did it with Stormseas imprint Mercky yeah is that right yeah, yeah 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 that so that came out in 2021 how to calm it tell me tell me yeah. a little bit about that book
1: So that came out during my coma, could you believe it? Um, So I missed the whole launch, honestly, so annoyed. Um, But it's called How to Calm It. It's basically um, a pocket-sized book, a guide, on um, identifying the chaos in your life and how to find more peace. Um, And I wrote that book because I think a lot of healing and a lot of trauma and that kind of dialogue is often long-winded and uh, and very, very big. And I wanted something that people could have, they could put in their handbag, they could look at and read when the time was right, when the feeling, you know, hit them um, and be able to utilise the information that I was giving them. Um, so yeah, how to calm it is kind of what I would have needed at the beginning of my journey. And it mentions generational trauma, ancestral healing. It mentions the dimensions of like spirituality, physical um, wellbeing, emotional wellbeing, and how to utilise kind of all the facets of who we are to live a more balanced life. And I'm so proud of that book. Honestly, I'm pissed off I wasn't around um, for the launch, but I'm really proud of it.
0: Well, my, my closing question was going to be to you about, you know, what's the future hold? What's next? But Mm -hmm. just from talking to you, it feels like there's such a next book in you. There's such a powerful book in you, you know, you're so insightful. You're, this is going to sound like a weird thing to say, but you're so old before your time, like your Mm. wisdom, Mm. um, Please say you'll write another book. Would you would you do that? Yes.
1: I would love to write another book. I would love to do a documentary around yes. coma survivors. Um, and even just looking at mothers who aren't with their children, there's a story in that I think as well. Um my goal, I think, for the next few years will be to be work with working with the ICU. Um in making it a better place for patients because it is traumatising and uh-huh. just deeply, deeply depressing being there. And I would love to kind of put my stamp on things and make sure that the improvement of care is there in the ICU. What else? Oh, I would love to kind of put my entrepreneurial hat on. I would love to do a wellness brand Um there's so many things I want to do. And I think before I definitely played it small. I definitely was like, oh, I'll be happy if I just did this and did that. And it's like, no, I want a book. I want a TV show. I want a front cover. I I want to be on billboards. I, I want to mm. travel the world. And I know that that can seem, um, I don't know, too much maybe. I think when you, when you go through something where you have nothing, it feels yeah. like you are you have nothing, you suddenly recognise that actually you want to experience, like, the greatest things in life. Of, of course. Um, and you fought physically so hard to be here. Like, yeah. it would be
0: an injustice to yourself to not want that level of, yeah. it's not even just success, it's connection with, with the wider yeah. world, you know, is so yeah. important. Exactly. Um Yeah. And I don't doubt, like you're telling me all this stuff and I'm like, I'll probably just turn on Twitter and you'll be doing it like next year, next month, next week, because actually this, this is nothing new. You've always gone out there. And if Grace needs to do something, it's only Grace that does it for herself. Like that's always been who you are. Like you've always been freelance. You've always been a grafter Mm -hmm. um, and you've always sort of looked within for the answers yeah. I feel so yeah yeah you'll be doing it i know you will
1: <laughs> thanks katie bless you uh, i'm really so enjoyed nice to talk to, to you. you yeah i knew with you you would just get it like you would just get it you'd understand it's a safe yeah. space and that's you're amazing
0: Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or
2: share on your socials.